Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace this day to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, now that Elias has given away all of my secrets, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I will just plagiarize Christ. So in the church liturgical calendar, we have now moved into the time after Pentecost known as ordinary time. This time is the longest stretch of our church calendar year, lasting from Trinity Sunday until the beginning of Advent, four Sundays before Christmas. In some traditions, this long stretch is known as Trinity Tide. This particular season of the church year is welcomed by long, hot days of summer. Programming in our church tends to be a little bit more relaxed as people are vacationing, kids are out of school, hopefully attending church camps and mission trips. Of course, what I'm describing is the ordinary routine of ordinary time. But we are not in ordinary times. We are in extraordinary times. And I don't think that anybody would feel that things are ordinary in any way. We have now been physically distant from each other for quite a while. And we have taken these steps to protect ourselves from exposure to COVID-19. There's very little that is ordinary about our existence right now. There's very limited vacationing, maybe what we would call creative self-quarantining. E-learning was a great challenge for many and there is great anxiety about what fall school will even look like. Church camps are closed for the summer. All of our mission trips have been canceled. And I have not even begun to speak of the unrest and the violence that exists in our country and our culture due to the protests and riots over racial tensions. Who would have even thought that this kind of event could have happened in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? And yet we watched it unfold on live TV. No, things certainly are not ordinary. We're working differently, we're educating differently, we're shopping differently, we're doctoring differently, we're socializing differently, and as the church, we are also functioning differently. And I'm asked often when I think things are going to return to normal, and I'm sorry to say, I can't even conceptualize what normal is right now. Our advisory task force has met two times and will meet again this next week to evaluate what is going on around us with COVID-19 infection rates and hospitalizations and a variety of other factors that we have to consider before we can even begin to think about opening our building back up. A couple of weeks ago, there was immense buzz in the church when President Trump made the statement that the church needed to reopen. And I know that I thought to myself, just like many of the comments that I saw posted, the church never closed. The buildings were closed. But the work of the church actually increased. We needed to institute new and creative ways of communicating and worshiping with one another and still being able to carry God's message of hope and peace out into a world that needs it. We heard from people that needed help and we heard from people that were willing to help. We heard about people reaching out to one another to check in with a phone call, to see how they were doing, to make sure they were okay and that all of their basic necessities that they had, that they needed, that they had. But even more so, I saw God's word of hope and comfort being shared in very creative ways without any inhibition of who read it or might have heard it. 
Friends and hearers of God's word, you may be asking yourself, where in the world is he going with this? And what does it have to do with our text from the Gospel of Matthew today? And I will tell you that it is what Christ is doing in this text that speaks to what role the church and you as God's people have in our world today. When you look at our reading, just imagine what Jesus witnessed. He sees the crowd and he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. God had appointed priests to share his love with the nation of Israel, but instead these priests would strut down city streets with Bible pages tied to their heads and their noses held high with pride. They had added over 400 rules to God's Ten Commandments, rules that no one could fulfill. It left every person uncertain of where they stood with God. Repentant prostitutes and tax collectors were shunned because they were considered too bad to be forgiven. The needs of the crippled and the deformed, the sick and the diseased, the orphaned and the widows were ignored because they're too lowly and of no value. Still others had such low respect for worship, they quit caring about their standing with God altogether. Man, does this sound familiar. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thousands of years ago, Jesus saw you here, living in a world today, fighting against itself. He saw you in the times that you would doubt that he was even present. He has watched you reeling from harsh words, the way that humans treat other humans, dealing with the aftermath of our actions and our decisions. He sees the weariness, the anxiousness of yet another promise broken. And as your hope for things to get better seems to wisp away, you search for meaning, and he has compassion on you. Jesus Christ is born for no other reason than to set you free from the fear that grips you, from the eternal consequences of our sins, from the devil's crushing accusations. In plain sight hung your Savior, cursed, bleeding on a tree who suffered unfairly, but does not accuse his father of wrongdoing. You have a Savior who does not curse his accusers, but actually begs for their forgiveness. You have a Savior who does not establish new government, but rather establishes an entire kingdom. And he opens the doors to that paradise with his blood and with his death. He rises back to life to enter and reign in that kingdom, and he sends this good to you by ordinary means to tell you, I have done this all for you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus procured our freedom from sin, and the devil still fights with all of his strength to silence God's word. He tries to silence the promise that is found in the cross and to keep the world locked in spiritual slavery. And his favorite ploy is covering it up with a message to you that says, why me? Why not someone else? I don't know the first thing about talking to someone about this stuff. I'm afraid of what question they might ask me. 
It seems that Lutheran laryngitis is more contagious than COVID-19. The devil knows this. And if you consider the good news of forgiveness as something only you get to enjoy, well then, no one else hears it. He knows that if you think someone else will share that good news with a certain person, then they may never know freedom from sin, death, and the devil. He knows that if you treat the joys of earth equal to the joys of heaven, then you will never want to offer spiritual comfort in a decaying world. If only he can convince you that somehow you have earned God's favor, then you get to keep it for yourself. Besides, Lutherans don't talk about faith, right? Well, I'm here to tell you today that you do. You speak about your faith when you care for one another, when you reach out to someone in need, when someone needs a caring conversation. And this text for today is really about Jesus' call to discipleship. For those that followed him in his own time and for you that follow him by faith today. Jesus actually tells you what discipleship is about and even more so what it means to be a disciple. This call to discipleship is actually enmeshed in God's grace and his mercy and in his promise. Discipleship is never separated from it. Because if you can simply utter the name of Jesus Christ, you have the only power you will ever need. Because Christ's name has power. His words have power. They are not anemic. They, his words do something. This is a message that transforms life, and it is a message that is free it was given freely to you, and it is free for you to give to others. This message of hope is the reason why Jesus says you have received forgiveness by God's grace alone, and you know this message of forgiveness. So go, and he sends you to freely give it to others. Jesus basically gives two ways in how these words get put into action. First he says, go and preach the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Maybe you need to ask yourself, what do I say when I talk about God? There is so much. Baptism and the Lord's Supper and confession and forgiveness and prayer and law and gospel, there's so much that you know. Speak of a Savior who breaks the chains of sin Sin that drags you literally through hell on earth. And he places you in his kingdom forever. Speak of your confidence and your joy of what it means to know hope. Jesus has already suffered, died, and rose again. Freedom from sin has already been attained. So preach this message. You can do this because you have already shared Jesus Christ. You bring your children to worship. Your children go to scripture first. You are freely filling them with the love of Jesus. And you are following God's command to raise your children among God's faithful people. Sharing your faith becomes something automatic. It doesn't need to be some big conscientious effort. It just becomes part of your life. Tell people plainly and apologetically 
where you and your family spend Sunday mornings and that they are welcome to join you anytime. Jesus urges you, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. How much easier can that get? Ask him in prayer to raise up people who are willing to serve in ministry. Ask him for opportunities in your own life where you can openly share and live out your faith. Ask him for courage and boldness to take the step and invite another person, that person that you've had in mind for a while, to worship. Ask him to bless the efforts of our congregation to reach the lost, the lonely, and the lowly. Pray that you might be the one asked to share. Ask God to give you the right words to strike the heart. God has placed you and me on a mission field, and that first mission field is the people in your life. And by God's grace, he then chooses you to gather them to himself. The good news of freedom from sin has reached your ears, but it is not reached everyone's ears. And you have freely received a message, and this message is for your benefit and for the benefit of others. And God graciously works through you to lead others to know the comforting freedom of forgiveness. Jesus summoned his disciples and bestowed on them power and authority, power that comes with being called through the Holy Spirit, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified in true faith. And he has given you the same power of God's word to speak into a world that has gone crazy. This great gospel message is that God's kingdom has come to you in Jesus Christ. And it came because someone spoke it to you. Now, yes, I will concede that many of you were probably forcibly required to come to church in your younger years by your parents or a relative, but that action alone did not create faith. St. Paul actually reminds us in his letter to the church in Rome that faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard is the word of God. And then he asks a paradoxical question, how are they to hear of it if no one will speak it? Now, of course, I'm paraphrasing Paul, but the question still stands. How does someone come to know the promises of God in Jesus Christ if there's no one to speak it? Because I guarantee there are other voices that are surely heard in the absence of God's word. And we are literally hearing this every day. If the voice of God is not heard, you know who has the mic. Right now the world is spewing jealousy and envy and hate and thievery and violence and murder and it all comes from the same place. It is the spirit of the world that is attacking us, dividing us. The world preaches lies to us constantly and oh, there is a voice that exists and that voice is the one that will leave you harassed and helpless. Jesus breaks through all of these lies. He is our great shepherd and he meets you here again today in his word. And that word is to know that he has chosen you, he has forgiven you for all the ways that you have doubted God, have separated yourself from God, have even denied God. You are forgiven. And more than this, you are called. You are sent to be God's voice, to tell others of what God has done for you. The spoken word is one of the most powerful tools we have in our lives. It is an ordinary thing 
that accomplishes extraordinary results. Thanks be to God. Amen.